1: I can see the house, but not all of it, and certainly not how you get there from here. It sprawls above us, the main house, servants' quarters, garage, those who live there and those who serve their needs. As the car winds up the hill, you get glimpses through the skeletal winter trees that stand like witches' brooms. A window flashes, a stretch of white painted brick, the dark gray point of a slate gable. All of a sudden, the sun finds its spot through the trees, catching my eye like a needle. This is GP Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network, and today I'm talking to Mariah Fredericks, author of The Lindbergh Nanny. The story of the kidnapping of Charles Lindbergh Jr. from his crib in 1932 made international headlines. The baby's father, Charles Lindbergh, Sr., was a handsome young pilot whose solo flight across the Atlantic had made him a national hero. The baby's mother was the wealthy daughter of a U.S. senator who learned how to fly with her husband. Although the kidnapper was finally caught, the nanny, Betty Gow was put on the stand. Her relationships questioned, and she was suspected of having passed along the information the kidnapper needed to carry out the horrible plan. Hi, Mariah. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Hi, Galit. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So why were Charles Lindbergh and Anne Morrow Lindbergh the most celebrated couple in America in 1932?
0: You know, that's a really good question question, because one of the first things I confronted when starting this story is that I'm a terrified flyer and airplanes do not enchant me. And I thought, why was it so special to people that he flew across the Atlantic? I mean, I understood that it was very dangerous, um, and certainly the, the stamina and the will and the ingenuity that it took to do it, um, you know, it was very, very impressive. But the romance of it didn't really strike me. Um, but what many people explain is that in 1927, people were exhausted by the party. The Roaring Twenties roaring was starting to pall. Um, and people felt that there was this sort of manic frivolity and emptiness and lack of purpose. So he stepped in at a time when people were looking for something authentic and organic and real, and he was sort of this plain-spoken, terrifically good-looking uh, young man who sort of a straight talker who did rather than partied, um, and she was really the perfect complement to him. I mean, the pictures of him them when they're young in their flying suits are to me the most appealing images of him you can find. And that they were this married couple, and he made her a full partner in his adventures, and he said, she's crew, and women can fly a plane just as well as a man can. Um, There was really something exceptional in their partnership, and I see why it captured the imagination. Mm. Lindbergh
1: later promoted some racist views, and he was opposed to American intervention in World War II. Can you say a bit about his trajectory?
0: Yes, it's you know for many people Charles Winberg is a very simple proposition. He does the famous flight. His child is kidnapped, and then at Des Moines he gives the famous speech, um, accusing American Jews of trying to drag America into the war when we should be making common cause with Nazi Germany and. They're using their enormous influence in the media to do so. As a matter of fact, at that time, um, Jewish journalists were in charge of maybe 3% of uh, American newspapers. That He was a man who was fanatically devoted to detachment, that certain things that would not, should not elicit emotional responses. He saw himself as a man of data and science, and that self-interest should always be part of the calculation. It took him to a very, very dark place. Um, I also believe that after the kidnapping, his Horror of encroachment and emotional entanglement became even more pronounced. Um, He's ruthless with himself in terms of what he lets himself feel about the kidnapping, Um, but it all sort of comes out sideways. uh, And you know, it's almost if I can't feel pain about the loss of my family, no one should feel. Pain about the loss of their family. Um, and, and Harold Nicholson, who was a journalist who covered him and was friends with him, he gave him an, an sanctuary after the kidnapping. He was British. Um, and when Lindbergh ref- said, we are not coming, we shouldn't come in on the side of Great Britain, he wrote a scathing article saying, you know, he is, after all, just a very polite young man, you know, indicating he was, he was immature. He was emotionally stunted. Hmm.
1: Uh, My daughter is sleep training her baby right now, and there's all kinds of equipment that allows her to check him constantly. What was Lindbergh so again, why was he so against the nanny or anyone checking on his baby for three hours at a time?
0: There was um, his his daughter, I believe it was Reeve, joked when they said, well, why did your father fly the Atlantic? And she said, well, it was to get away from his mother. Um, and apparently Mother Lindbergh uh, was something of a hoverer with her son, um, and uh, he couldn't stand that. Also, the... The child rearing approach of the time, you know, it sort of goes back and forth between, you know, when I was a young mother, you had to be attached to your child of all times and wear them and a baby bjorn, And at the time, um, the Watson method and other methods really discouraged uh, parents from giving too much love to your child, that it would stunt their emotional growth and sense of self-sufficiency. and of course, for a man like Charles Lindbergh, that dovetails very nicely with his personal prejudices. You mentioned the category of Lindbergh kidnapping
1: scholars. What about that? What about that event necessitated an
0: entire branch of study? Well, there are a, a number of people who believe that Hauptmann got an unfair trial and an unfair treatment from the police. And as I understand it, mistakes were made. Um, But any time that you have somebody famous involved in a crime, there are going to be questions as to whether the police were a little too eager to find the kidnapper. So I think that that's another reason. Houtman is also very attractive. I think that makes him sympathetic um, to certain people. Um, But it was such a sensational crime at the time, and the pressure was so enormous on the police to find the person who did it. I can understand a certain amount of skepticism of, you know, maybe they just grabbed some guy and said, okay, this is the Lindbergh kidnapper. But as John Douglas once said, if Hauptmann didn't do it, he's the unluckiest guy on the planet because there are a mm-hmm. number of things. There that was some do- evidence. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't belong to the people who think that Hauptmann was innocent.
1: So what changed in our society after the kidnapping? Was, was police work changed in some way? Did the FBI learn something important?
0: I know that the little Limburg law, which I believe yeah, this is not an area I'm, I'm entirely familiar with because it's outside of my character's um, experience, but the little Limburg law, I think maybe like a felony to transport a child across state lines um, or federal crime. I'm, I'm afraid I don't know that specifically, but, Um, If you watch uh, the Clint Eastwood movie about J. Edgar Hoover, he implies that um, forensic detection was really in its infancy. And it's true that they didn't secure the crime scene very well, right after the kidnapping and uh, certain, certain footprints got destroyed. I think tire tracks were destroyed. Um, So that that sort of procedure that you would certainly have now of locking everything down and taking samples um, didn't really exist then. Interesting. Well, um, you
1: had written in your, I think it was in your uh, foreword, that you became interested in the story after watching the 1974 movie of mm-hmm. the Agatha Christie story. I was wondering, was there a, any public outcry when Agatha Christie fictionalized the story of the Lindbergh kidnapping and
0: changed the baby into a girl named Daisy Armstrong. Was there any outcry at all? Not that I know of. Um, Her book was in response to the outcry. And I don't, I don't want to ruin part of the story here, but um, several of the staff members in the Lindbergh and Morrow households were British. So the, the case was covered extensively there Um, And they really suffered. Um, And she wrote the book to some degree, I think, as a response to the outrage of how they were treated. But uh, as far as I know, no, the Lindberghs never really kicked about how dare you um, exploit this tragedy.
1: Well before the kidnapping, the Lindberghs had to be careful about photographers and all kinds of people wanting to get too close to them and the baby. Can you say more about that?
0: Well, he apparently was really not prepared when he when he did the famous flight for the global reaction that took place. Um, and when they got married, of course, that was a, another source of fascination and they were harassed on their honeymoon. Um, so they knew that when Anne was pregnant, that the baby would be a, a source of enormous Interest, and they tried to head it off. Um, They had code language for when he was born, of how they would tell her parents and his mother whether it was a boy or a girl. Like you know, we brought the blue suitcase or we brought the red suitcase. Those weren't the words, but something like that. They gave one picture to the press. They asked that they be left alone, but you know, as as we know from today, um, the media does not. Uh, always
1: follow those rules. Right. It's really hard to believe that the Lindberghs would leave their baby with the nanny for months at a time. Did you get some understanding about that from your research on the family?
0: Well, again, he was uh, devoted to the idea of not getting too emotionally attached um, even to your own child. And his biographer, A. Scott Berg, um, describes both of them as a little apprehensive as first-time parents. And he believed very much in Anne's talents and Anne's abilities, and he wanted her to fully... Realize those um, both as an aviator and as a writer. And she has this sort of extraordinary passage where she says, You know, Charles is absolutely um, dedicated to the idea that I must write and I must do things, and I can't let anything like housework or motherhood or or other people's problems deter me, Um, which sounds sort of great and supportive and it sounds also sort of controlling. Um, But I think there very much was the idea that they were people of destiny and they were going to do what they did. And also, I mean, child rearing was a different proposition at that time. I think weaving Anne's own mother, I think, left them with uh, uh, nurses and yammies because she was an academic. Um, and very involved with her, her husband's political life.
1: My heart for most of all, my heart broke for Anne, for uh, the baby's mother. As a, you know, any of us would, and I know she became an author. She really did write. She had several books and she survived him. Would you share what you learned about Anne
0: Lindbergh? You know, I was very surprised because the only thing I really knew about Anne Lindbergh, I run a a secondhand book fair every year. And every year we seem to get five copies of Gift from the Sea. <laughs> and I knew that she had written this book that was important to women of earlier generations and that she was Mrs. Lindbergh. And reading her diaries and her letters at this time and reading her biography, she's a woman who fights so hard to be emotionally clear and precise, even when she's describing the most harrowing experiences. Um, I think one of the reasons that, you know, even though she sat with Wimberg during, you know, the Des Moines speech and she wrote a book Trying to explain his views, one of the reasons that we tend to forgive Anne is that she acknowledged fault. She said we were naive, we were wrong um, in our view of Nazi Germany, and she was able to do that internal self-examination that he never did. Um, so I was I was struck by how much she appealed to me um, in her her determination to be honest with herself and her honest with others.
1: I would like to know why was there so much attention on the nanny, Betty Go, By the
0: police and the media?
1: By everyone, yeah.
0: Well, um, at the time that they were... Um, on the night that Charlie was kidnapped, he was kidnapped from the Hopewell, New Jersey home. The house was still under construction, um, and the Limburgs were only ever there during the weekend. They normally lived with her mother in Englewood, New Jersey. And the Hopewell house was very remote. It was hard to get to. Um, So, and... But on the night, on March 1st, Charlie had had a cold. It was a Tuesday, and Anne caught the cold. So rather than going back to Englewood as they always had, she called that house and said, Betty, can you come help me? I'm completely exhausted and sick. I think we're going to stay here tonight. And that was the first time anyone outside the family knew that the plans had changed and that they would be staying at the Hopewell house. So when Charlie was taken, the police strongly suspected the kidnappers had to have someone on the inside tipping them off, that the family was at the remote, unguarded house. And because Betty was the person whose plans had changed, um, she was a likely suspect. She was also a suspect because she was the last person to see Charlie. She was the first person to discover he was missing. And so they started to develop a theory about her. Uh, Recently, she had started dating a young man, a Norwegian sailor with a slightly sketchy employment history. Uh, She was getting a little older. She was an attractive woman. But the theory went that perhaps he had manipulated her into helping him with the kidnapping because that would mean he would have enough money to marry her. And also Charlie felt very comfortable with her so he wouldn't have cried if she picked him up and handed him out the window.
1: You write about the man who was um, the guy Betty Gow dated in Detroit. Why, Why was so much attention focused on him?
0: Police attention focused on him because in looking at Betty's movements, she went to Detroit to see um, an old boyfriend that she had dated in Scotland. And his name was William Coots. I call him Robbie, Robbie Coots in the novel because her, her brother's name was William. Like I didn't want the same name. Um, but what the police decided was it, at the time, there was a gang in Detroit called the Purple Gang. And one of the ways that they made mummy was through kidnapping. Kidnapping was rife during the 20s and 30s. And they became fixated on a gangster named Scotty Gow. And they somehow decided that this was she was working with Scotty Gow and the Purple Gang. Uh, to kidnap the baby,
1: with no proof whatsoever. No, so, just, same last right. name
0: and lived in Detroit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you also write about the man who was accused, Hauptman, and punished for the crime. Why did the justice system leave loose ends about him? Can you can you talk a bit about what they never learned?
0: Um. Well. What they, I mean, a lot of this is I'm not sure how loose the ends were and how much it's people trying to poke holes in the crime. For example, one of the things that they found when they looked at his house, first of all, they found, wait, I forget, it was like $13,000 of the uh, bills, the ransom money, and they had written down all the numbers, and there were a particular kind of money that went out of circulation, so they knew it was the ransom money. Um, another thing that they supposedly found was that he had written the name of the Lindbergh mediator, Dr. John Condon, and his phone number, as it appeared in the newspaper, on the, uh, the inside of one of his closets. Now, to me, that's very, very damning, evidence a little while later a reporter said oh no 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 i snuck in there and i wrote it down and then you think oh no that that wasn't true but (laughs) then you look at how helpman responded when they said hey you've got why do you have dr condon's name written in here and he's like oh i was a little bit interested in the case so i guess i just kind of wrote it down now he had lied about several other things. He lied about how much of the ransom mummy he had, so why didn't he lie about that? Um, but there are just, you know lots of things like that. It depends on your appetite for conspiracy theories.
1: Wow. This was such an intriguing story. I I thought I knew about it because I had seen the Agatha Christie and I had read a little bit, but you really, uh, I love how you approached it from the perspective of the nanny. It was just lovely. Thank you so much. Uh,
0: What are you working on next, Mariah? Uh, My next novel is also about a true crime, uh, but one that I don't think anybody has heard of, uh, which is the 1911 assassination of the novelist, David Graham Phillips. And he was shot uh, in Gramercy park, just outside the Princeton club. And I I did take. I didn't. I tried to take very few liberties with the Lindbergh novel. This one, I have taken a few liberties with, uh, because within a few months of David Graham Phillips being murdered, Edith Wharton is in New York and she is at the Belmont Hotel, and she has summoned Henry James, Walter Berry, and her lover Morton Fullerton to put to them the question: Should she leave America? Should she leave her publisher and should she leave her husband? And while she's trying to figure that out, she also solves the murder of David Graham Phillips. You mean in real life she did? No, it's it's fictional. Oh, Um, but these are okay. No, but these are. She did read his last novel and she did know about him. Um, But these are two people. He liked to write novels about frivolous, rich women who rode around in motor, in motor cars and loved culture. Well, of course, Edith loved her, her motor cars, and she was wealthy, and she did love culture. So I thought these are two people who should have an argument. Wow. It
1: sounds sounds wonderful. It sounds juicy. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's
0: been wonderful talking to you. Oh, it's been terrific talking to you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Mariah Fredericks about her newest book, The Lindbergh Nanny. Hope you have a juicy novel to cuddle up with today and every day. Happy reading!